You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. I've got a great episode tonight. I've got a fellow hobbyist. I've got uh, Brandon Willis. And uh, if you haven't caught any of Brandon's work with some of his vivarium builds on social media and whatnot, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, actually. And, uh, you know, as a beginner, he's uh, accomplished quite a bit. And we're going to talk about some of his methods, and we're going to kind of compare and contrast just uh, some different techniques. Uh, sort of as a follow-up, if you guys remember, I'd done an episode a, a while back, actually, now, about um, some different uh, background choices and some different hardscape choices in the vivarium. I gave some of my thoughts and some of my insights and uh, Brandon and I are going to kind of talk and just kind of, like I said, we're going to kind of compare the different methods and uh, maybe his take on some of the materials that I mentioned in that episode. So uh, if you want a little bit of context, go back and check that episode out. It was a solo episode with me, uh, just on the kind of vivarium build choices, uh, hardscapes and backgrounds, etc. But uh, before we get into it, as usual, I want to thank everyone for the nice uh, five-star apo- uh, five star reviews excuse me, on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you have a chance, leave a nice five-star review. Uh, some nice comments also help as well. That kind of gets to the, the top of the list. Nice five-star review with some comments if you're enjoying the show. And another great way to support the show, if you're into it, is to become a patron on Patreon. It's a great way to support content creators. I have a $3 tier, which is the lowest tier. And uh, for the second tier up, which is the most popular, the $5 tier, uh, you'll get a shout out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. So other than that, uh, you know, housekeeping aside, uh, Brandon, what's uh, what's going on? I'm, I'm glad we finally got a chance to get together, man. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I can't complain, Dan. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So um, why don't we why don't we start out with um, kind of give give us your bio. Tell us like how you got started, what got you into dart frogs and what ended you up uh, where you are doing your builds today. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I've actually only been in the hobby for like two years, two and a half years. And ironically enough, dart frogs didn't get me into terrariums or vivariums. Um, my wife, Amy, she actually has an Instagram and she keeps plants as well. Um, she bought me a bonsai tree and I was trying to keep it alive back in 2019, the end of 2019, the beginning of COVID. And she had bought me one before my dog ate it. So when she bought me this one, I was determined to keep it alive. Got on YouTube, scoured the internet, and I found this terrarium bonsai video on YouTube. And I was like, what is a terrarium? And I clicked on it, and it was this guy building a terrarium with a bonsai in it. It had a little water feature and some aquatic plants, some hardscape, and it was very simple and very elegant and i fell in love like like whatever he had just done like i had to do it too i looked over at the suggested um videos and i just seen like a bunch of other um vivarium and terrarium suggestions and i'm like what is this and i googled it and i found out what uh, terrariums and vivariums were and i was like okay so i had to start clicking on the next videos and um the rest was pretty much history i found uh different YouTubers and scapers, uh, Troy uh, Goldberg and uh, Serpa Design and um, Biotol Gallery, and I kind of landed on uh, Dendro Dendrozone, and he had at the time was like the go-to guy for vivariums, and he was keeping um, dart frogs in them. And I didn't know too much about dart frogs. I'm not like um, a bunch of my friends who I talk to who uh, 
they either like have a degree in like amphibians or like they've been keeping reptiles and like a bunch of animals for their entire life. Like my mother, she did not condone any type of four-legged animal or creature, critter inside of her house. So we didn't keep a lot of pets. So um, dart frogs were like new to me, but I just kind of fell in love with the art and the nature of uh, this guy's builds and he kept dart frogs. So I was like, hey, I want to keep dart frogs. So I just kind of just went to the internet and just kind of been at it ever since and since 2019. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I I mean, maybe it's just my thought process. I always kind of come into this because I was someone who got into animals first. I was into reptiles and amphibians as I was in a kid. And as I, I mean, I saw dart frogs come into the hobby in the, in the early 90s, but I didn't really mess around with them until like the mid 2000s. It's interesting when people come in really more for the, the plants and the aesthetics of the vivarium builds. So, I mean, as far as the, the, the bonsai tree grows, uh, grows, excuse me, as far as the, <laughs> the bonsai tree goes, um, that, that's actually pretty intriguing. Now, I've noticed a lot, like your builds, like I said, I mean, I've got a couple of pictures here in front of me, but your builds have a lot that is very aesthetically pleasing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's appealing to the eye and it looks like a tremendous amount of thought was like went into it the same way you would like, I guess, craft a bonsai tree. Like what kind of role does it coming in from a plant perspective in terms of like, um, oh, I guess like, uh, like, like what do you expect to get out of a vivarium? Because like you said, you're more into it for the plants. I mean, like what's the process like for you as opposed to someone like me, who's really more of like a frog person, I guess. Oh, I got you. Well, I guess I got into it more also for like the art of it as well. And like growing up and in high school, I was in art AP my entire time. And then I went to school to went to school for art for a little bit. And had I not joined the military, I would have gone back to school on an art scholarship. This something small, but, um, you know, just kind of like that's just what I was into. I was, I was always drawing. I was always crafting growing up. And so when I seen vivariums and terrariums and this guy with this bonsai tree and that's what he was doing, he was crafting nature in this glass box with his hands and just like the spare pieces around him. I was like, I have to do that. Like I have to get my hands on a little piece of nature myself and like I have to form it with my hands myself. So I guess that's what I get out of it. It's a little slice of nature and a little slice of art all in one. What are some of the elements that you think makes a good looking vivarium? And I mean, like, um, oh, I guess like, why don't you walk us through, I guess we'll start with the different layers. I mean, just like background, mid ground, foreground. What do you, what do you look to create in any particular vivarium? Mm, a lot of times, like I'll kind of get an image in my head. Whether like I'll just get done watching Lord of the Rings or something crazy on TV or if we just got done hiking in the woods and I just seen like a little, I don't know, something that resembles nature to me. Um, I kind of just want to bring it to life. And so I kind of just want to make the tank look as natural as possible. So like what I'm looking for in my tanks is I don't really want you to know that, you know, there's a drainage layer there, there's a pump there, you know, that the background's made of foam or if if I haven't used a foam background at all. Um, I kind of want you to feel a little bit immersed in just a little what, what I want your focus, uh, your attention being focused on. 
So um, I like to use like things that are like low profile, um, like my drainage layers. I know like people using LECA. Um, it's really popular. I like LECA too, but I really don't like, you know, looking at like a bunch of brown balls at the bottom of the of the tank. And there's nothing wrong with it. So if I decide I am going to use LECA, I just try to push it to the back and like slope it and use something black like gravel. And so like you really can't tell that that drainage layer is there. And if I'm going to use a uh, if I'm not going to go with a background, I'm going to just like go with like a, a glass tank. I'm just going to use a, a piece of like a black vinyl on the back. So it seems like, you know, your attention is being just drawn to the scape and you're kind of being lost in like it's it's endless almost. And I think that tanks to have like a lot of contrast with the hardscape pieces that complement one another are like the best looking ones to me. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you look for in a focal point, but you raised a good point that with something like that, I guess you really kind of want the eye to just wander through it and just take it all in. Because really, like, it's going to be, the gut background is going to be covered anyway, so it doesn't really matter if you did one or not. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's funny because in my own, I've stressed, all, I've stressed out over so many backgrounds only to just have them be completely covered in ficus or, or or moss or something like that after the fact but so which species of frogs are you working with and, and what made you decide on these particular species uh, i'm currently keeping phyllobates vitatis phyllobates uh, orange blackfoot terribilis what else is there Oh, goodness. There's some Ranitsamea, Ventramaculata, French New Guinea, yellows. Oh, my goodness. Um, what else I keep? Uh, my Patricia. And that's it for dart frogs. I keep um, an African bullfrog as well. And, yeah, that's, that's all the frogs I keep. Um, I got... The terribilis, because like I said, when I first got into the hobby, like when I seen um, Dendrozone, and he had, um, I think he had some orange, some orange and some mints for sure. That's what he had on his video. And I was like, man, like, that's what I want. And, but when I first got in, I was a little intimidated by keeping those frogs and, you know, accidentally killing them. So <laughs> I decided to get something a little bit smaller. but. Little did I know I should have got went for something bolder, a little bit more bright, so I can monitor them. I ironically ended up getting my Vitatis for my first frogs. I actually put a story on my Instagram, like how I first got them. I didn't get, I didn't really see them much when I when I first got them. I didn't know if they were eating. I didn't know if they were fighting. If there were, is it, if there was any aggression? If there was male, females, or anything like that. Um, but it all worked out. <laughs> and they were all fine. I just kept feeding the tank. Um, I got my Ranitamea from a friend, uh, from a, a local breeder, and I was wanting to kind of see what the local scene was, and I ended up meeting this guy, and we ended up being friends, and I got a group of them from him, and they actually ended up just ended up breeding for me, and then I ended up getting some tinks from my good friend Audrey, uh, Urban and Amphibia, and she bred a group of them and I got three of them and I love them and they're all bold and everyone's out 
and they're still juveniles. They're about like 10 months, nine months, but everyone's doing good. So how many tanks do you have at the present? Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, six that are up and running and two that I'm currently working on. Um, I'm kind of, I've been posting updates on the 36 by 18, 36 uh, water feature, one I'm doing and one I have with me that I'm, I do with my road builds <laughs> that I kind of just take on the road with me when I'm out and about. And if I decide to escape, I kind of just start escaping out of, out of that one. <laughs> do you have a pre? I mean, you mentioned the 36, but do you have any, like a preference for certain size? Like how big are the other tanks that you have? Uh, the other, I have two 36 by 18 by 36s and two 18 by 24s and then one 36 by 18 by 24. I prefer, I, I prefer to work out of as large of a tank as possible. So the 36 by 18 by 36 Exoterra is perfect. If I could get my hands on something bigger or custom, that would be cool. But the 18 by 24s are probably the smallest I, I'll go just for like the welfare of the animal and to like kind of get my picture out there. I think anything smaller is kind of hard to create something in, but it can be done. And I have put together some 12 by 18s. So I've seen some people do some like micro terrarium type situations, which are pretty cool, but. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, if you have a, I guess, a bigger canvas, you can get more across exactly. with the larger tanks. Well, in episode 67 a while back, I, 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 like I talked about some of my experiences with some different hardsca- hardscape materials like polyurethane foam, silicone, cork bark, etc. You use some of these materials. And what I'm curious is, I've, I had my experiences. I, I, I talked about that. I want to hear about some of yours in terms of like how much did it take to master using like like for example like polyurethane foam it, it takes a couple of tries to get it right like how how did like how did you experience some of these materials and like what did it take to get them to do what you wanted and were you happy with the results okay so when I first started a couple of years ago I guess I'm still first starting <laughs> but when I first initially started I'm after like the bonsai tree. Um, I have put together like a like eight to twelve tanks. Like it kind of got out of hand. I, I put one terrarium up with plants, um, a simple hardscape in there, and I just had to keep doing it. You know, you kind of get the bug, kind of get the itch. And I guess during that entire process of eight to twelve tanks that aren't up anymore, I got to experiment using different like foam and a silicone and I got to mess up a bunch like not uh putting the tank on its side or not making sure the tank the, the glass is clean before I foam it um not not allowing the silicone to cure uh not using gloves <laughs> and not allowing the foam to sit I got to to master a lot of this by uh, trial and error for sure and um after uh, a few dozen tries of a trial and error. I think I kind of got a rhythm of things of like, you know, uh, a system that works for me, you know, making sure the glass is clean, 
putting the tank on its side, if I'm going to use phone, making sure I'm moving slowly using the phone, uh, making sure I'm shaking the can, you know, and even though sometimes you can get that dud can, um, if I'm going to use silicone, just making sure I'm using enough of the silicone, not, not being shy with it, because when you're pressing on that background of ABG mix or whatever media you're going to use, sometimes we don't use enough and it falls off. And then you gotta go, gotta go back and scrape it off. So that costs money and time, and that kind of sucks. So I learned a lot of these methods throughout that whole trial period, for sure. And even still, like the occasional can of foam will still fall on me and peel from the glass, and I don't know, it just didn't stick. <laughs> more and more, I'm, 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 I think I'm done with polyurethane foam, other than maybe just <laughs> like filling gaps and whatnot, but. <laughs> It's just, it's so unforgiving. And I see people start out and they'll, they'll put up a picture on whatever it is on the internet. Like, oh, look at my building. You look at it and it just looks like intestines, like all over the back of the clay. <laughs> it just looks terrible. And you want to be supportive and you want to say nice things. But I mean, we've all, we've all, we've all been there. And I just, <laughs> I think that people, yeah. get, people get the idea that it's just going to come out of the can and it's just going to, you know, you're going to nail it like, like on the, ba- like on the baking shows, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I've tried to yes. bake cakes and they've come out awful, but it's the same thing with the polyurethane foam. I mean, what do oh, you, what, what are your go-to, I mean, well, I want to, you also source a lot of stuff kind of thinking outside the box. I want to get to that in a little bit, but uh, like what, what are some of the materials that you have develop like a, a kind of an affinity for like what are your go-to materials now for your newer builds Ooh, okay i don't i try to stay away like you said i try to stay away from polyurethane foam as much as possible it's kind of a, a necessary evil in the hobby with getting some of the hard um, heavier hardscape pieces to get up to stay up on the glass or adhere to whatever um but i like to use cork pieces um, I think it, I think the technique is like mosaic uh, cork pieces and you kind of s- uh, stick the cork flats and cork pieces to the wall and you kind of spread it up, spread them out apart to get, leave a little bit of a gap for either a sphagnum moss or um, uh, ABG mix. Um, my friend Matt Price on Instagram, he does like a phenomenal job of doing it. and. I like doing that method a lot. And my friend, a bunch of tanks, he does the cork panels. And that's probably the laziest and easiest way to do it. And it looks phenomenal. Like you just uh, order these sheets off a line. I think you can get them on Amazon and they come in um, like 18 by 36 size uh, pieces. They're like two inches deep or two inches thick. And you just adhere them to the, the glass and you take like the back of a, back of scissors and you just go and scrape the the background and it looks amazing so those are the methods i've definitely been leaning towards more in my later builds do you ever use just the natural looking cork bark because uh i've i've never used the 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 pressed like almost like acoustic panels like you have i've seen people do it and it's something that i want to do in the future but you ever just use like the rough kind of natural sections of cork bark Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't stayed with the mosaic uh, natural using utilizing the natural pieces 
of uh, cork bark. But in one of my my 36, 18 by 26 build, I didn't use the flats, but I used the cork rounds and I kind of adhered them to the glass. And majority of that is made up of my background. And I think it looks awesome. Uh, you have no problem growing anything on it. It maintains water. It's really easy. It's lightweight. I know people don't like cork because it breaks down over time, but I kind of feel like you'll be redoing the tank again at that point anyway. And it still looks great for a long time anyway. So mine, mine looks good. I have my mossy frog palette area in which I'm, I mean, I, I'm in my, I don't normally record my frog room. I know I've said that like a million times, but I always didn't seem to head up down here, but <laughs> my, my Thelioderma corticale vivarium, I did just that. I just took this big half round, honk of like massive cork bark and i just polyurethane foamed around it and it's got moss growing on it. it's been sitting there for since what 2016 so what is that like eight eight years right something like that yeah i haven't had i haven't i mean i've had the the pieces that were really underneath the water got waterlogged and got kind of gross they released tannins for a while but i mean it's it's i haven't had any issues with any of it breaking down and see i don't mind the tannin looking color it does to the uh it it dyes your water i like that uh, effect it does to it i think it makes it look more natural to me and i mean if your cork piece it is falling apart i mean what is that bioactive there it is so <laughs> the, the the b word that we all love so oh, much sorry <laughs> <laughs> i have to be sorry i mean i'm sure everybody listen and i've, I've never really I guess come out and, and given my thoughts on that term, but I mean, mm-hmm. all of us in the dart frog and tree frog, I guess most of us in this kind of community already kind of look at the term. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was, I had, I had a conversation with someone and I, he, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say he knows who he is. He's, he's listening. He knows who it is, but he mentioned like bioactive or something like that. in some of his content is like this huge hashtag. And I, 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 I was talking to him later. I said, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> and he says, very well. I was like, yeah, you know, but may I, one day, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll do a, an episode on that topic. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like the whole thing is overblown. I, mm-hmm. I just, I feel like the, the premise is sound. Uh, I just feel like people have kind of lost the, 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 the premise of like how it's executed properly <laughs> And and when it's appropriate, like like for example, I um my 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 snakes are also here too, and I have two blood pythons, and they're very very content in their PVC enclosures and whatnot. I I used to use cypress mulch. I don't anymore. I use you know I use craft paper, but I don't. I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to rely on an army of springtails to clean it up. Like when they <laughs> crap. Because it's it's it happens once a year, and when it does, you have to like clear the whole house out. So, I uh, <laughs> I see people do it for large constrictors and things like that. And I just think to myself, it's eh, not going to work when it gets really big. But I don't know. It's that's a that's a, a topic for another night. But mm-hmm. I um I <laughs> this is going to be one crack up. I have a bearded dragon as well. One of those non frog animals. One of the non-frog animals I have. Those and exist. Springtail. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do those even count? <laughs> uh, um, that I, I see his 
Ooh, hear that hear that word goes again. His bioactive enclosure with springtails like all the time, but I don't want them to clean up his poop by <laughs> by any means. You know, I go in there and spot clean still, or I cover it up and then I'll come back and spot clean later. But it does uh, springtails cleaning up mounds of poop. No, that's not happening. I've even told people. I guess people who were beginning, they just I did their first build and they run into the usual problems. And it's like, oh, well, you know, now that I have springtails in there, it's going to take care of everything. And it's like, well, you're still going to have to spot clean it, even with even with dart frogs. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I the tanks that I have going, I've, I've had going for a long time. Generally, I don't really I'll, I'll spot clean here and there if I get a plant that dies or something like that. But a lot of it's just adding substrate, like putting it back because the stuff does rot. It's not just going to sit there into perpetuity. <laughs> well, um, well, one sub one substrate though that apparently is never going to disintegrate ever is the sponge filter, and that's actually how oh. you you and I got originally to talking. I, I mentioned that I started using it as a, a false bottom material, sort of out of desperation. Back when I started doing, I did I did all my bills basically like within a year. So I've got I don't know maybe like. Show builds, one, two, three, four, five, maybe like 10, 10 or 12 like show builds. And I ran out of, I ran out of um, Leica. So I went to Home Depot and I got just this like sponge material that you would use inside of a gutter to keep the leaves from clogging up the gutters. And now everyone's using the sponge filters. So, I mean, you've used it, right? You've, you're, you've, you're using that stuff now as your, as your false bottom in some of your builds, right? Yes, that um, podcast is actually why I started using it. Um, I had walked past it like the day before. I had listened to that that episode and I seen it and I looked at it and I was like, is this going to work? And I I didn't pay any mind to it. And then you said said it, you mentioned it. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Great minds think alike. So I went back and I bought a bunch of it and I tried it and I've been using pretty much nothing but that for the majority of my drainage layers since. And it works phenomenally. Like, I, I probably won't use really anything else but that. And I know I'm probably going to not be able to find it anymore, but I just get it from. Well, like the big box stores? Yes. Yeah. We, we know their names. <laughs> we know their names. No one gets free advertising here. I I want to get into that in a minute. Actually, the whole the whole big box store dynamic. But you you had actually raised a good point when I when I brought up the topic of using sponge as a false bottom material. Uh, you had asked me about any additives to it, and at the time when I did this, I didn't pay it much mind because I thought to myself, well, it's just you know it's for a gutter. What could possibly be in it? But you're right. There are certain brands that do have additives to them. So I went back after the fact, I found the brand that I bought and I just, I looked it up at the manufacturer. I mean, just so everyone knows, a lot of these manufacturers make stuff specifically for a certain big box hardware store. You know what I mean? And there's like three or four of them in the, in the US. I know in Australia, they got one, I can't remember what the name of it's called, but that one's like huge. It's like the only one they have. But in any event, some of them do have additives. So if you are curious about that, because because you you mentioned it to me, I was like I was like I got to figure this out, and I found it out. I, I looked it up. I looked it up on the manufacturer's website, and it was it was not listed with having any kind of additives or anything like that. It was just I guess the, whatever the material that the the sponge foam was was made out of. But um, 
because uh, then you made me nervous. I'm like, oh crap! Like I, I, I mentioned, I recommended this to like thousands of people, and I hope I didn't do the wrong thing. But my frogs managed to manage to make it uh, make it, you know, with no problems. But um, how is how how is it to work with? I mean, is it easy to work with? Because I've only done it in a couple of builds. I never really sculpted anything with it. I I believe it's pretty easy to work with. Now I will say it's not as um, easy to manipulate as the uh, the pawn foam, the was it the low density or high density of uh, Metella mat that I've been seeing that's flat. Um, this stuff it comes out in like a rectangular, six foot long uh, piece of sponge, but and you just have to cut it and you just have to cut it and stack it, and it's it's safe. Like you said, I had. Uh, that was my main concern at first that the additives on some of it, you know, would be harmful to the frogs. But like I went back and checked to make sure that that wasn't it. And it's been fine. I've actually seen some of the frogs actually exposed to the sponge. Um, they're not like on it for like a long periods of time, but I've seen them on it a bunch and they're perfectly fine. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I think it's cool. And it's not as thin though. It's so I've I've been seeing that people are saying like you know how many uh, mats should they use or you know what um, what thickness they should get. This stuff is kind of already like two inches thick if you stack it on top of one another. So like you know uh, two pieces stacked on top of uh, one another is all you need. And you just kind of just keep layering it across your build, and it works perfectly. My only concern with it was deep rooting plants, like certain aroids and whatnot. They throw down those really deep roots. And I was, it's funny because I had the egg crate type false, uh, false bottom, you know, like, like the light diffusers, you just kind of cut the egg crate. I don't know if anyone even still even really uses that anymore, but I had, (laughs) I had that, I had the Lika and I had the sponge foam. And I found that with the foam, if I'm pulling a plant out, that's got really really deep roots it's really hard to not disturb that sponge layer whereas like with the leka i can kind of just pull it and then those leka balls will just sort of go you know they'll don't get messed around but i can always push them back have you had any problems with like with plants kind of getting in there and, and taking i mean i know it's, it's still kind of new builds but have you had any problems with with, with the plant choices already I, um like you said those aeroids they love that sponge mat and they've already rooted deep down into that um material i have a silver dragon in my one of my builds right now that i'm trying to figure out how i'm going to remove it from the build without disturbing the sponge filter but i've decided i'm just going to cut cut it out and just fill it in with like leca or anything what are some of your favorite plant choices to use? Um, I like to use more of aeroids and like the bigger leaf plants. Um, I noticed like my frogs are, I've been reading a lot of frog, about a lot of frogs liking to perch and noticing like they like to lay their eggs on the leaves. So that's what I kind of prefer to use. Um, but I've been working with more orchids lately and i know i was kind of intimidated at first to get into them 
just because I hear kind of how finicky they can be, but they have a beautiful bloom. So if I have the ground cover with majority of my aeroids, then I'll leave some space for some orchids. I feel like the same way with orchids. I feel intimidated by them. And one of my first builds, I just bought some random orchid from some hardware store. I don't even know. God knows what the name of it was. And it still lived. I mean, it bloomed that one day. And then after that, it never bloomed again. I didn't really take good care of it. But it's funny. Like people in the frog hobby, they're like, oh, God, the dart frogs are so delicate. They're so delicate. I'm so intimidated by them. I'm like, oh, they're really not that hard. And it's the same thing with orchids. Like, you know that somewhere somewhere out there, <laughs> someone is listening to this show and, and thinking, orchids are not that hard. We want you to think that they are, but they're not. Exactly. Yeah, it's orchids are are pretty amazing. Though. I just I I do I feel like it does take a, a special kind of person to be able to master orchid mm-hmm. uh, orchid or proper orchid care. Otherwise, everyone would be doing. It. Well, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people do. They just don't seem to translate particularly well into the dart frog situation. Right. I kind of feel the same way when my wife she's always around like the house plant community and sometimes she'll post pictures of my um builds and plants on there and they always ask like what is he doing to the plants like i can't get my aeroid or i can't get my anthurium to grow like that and i'm i, I do nothing I, I don't i don't know how why yours is melting out and about in your house but it it's 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 thriving inside this terrarium with frog poop in this straight distilled water no ferts no nothing so i don't know i've never really been intimidated to grow aeroids but some of those pages make me a little intimidated to grow aeroids for sure yeah i i i've, I've seen the, the the plant community is huge too like um i've i've had conversations with people about you know different vendors and whatnot people who sell plants and it's almost like the plant bubble is about to burst because during COVID people were paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for clippings of these, of these plants. And even for just like a clipping that may, may die within a couple of days of just, of just putting it somewhere. But I mean, if she's involved with the whole houseplant world, I mean, what, what, what's that like? The whole, I mean, I only know what it's like the, the vivarium community, but like, what's the whole houseplant community like? It is kind of insane. <laughs> Um, to see some of those plants go for some of those prices uh, in her groups. Um, I know, like, well, I've only been in the hobby for a couple of years, so I guess I've been paying these prices. But it seems like when I got go to, like, the herp shows and, um, like, the reptile shows and everything, I'm able to find a lot of these house plants, like Veracalsum, and Ethereum's for a lot cheaper there than I am on these houseplant markets. And um, they have like houseplant um, festivals that they that you can go to and meet. And the, the prices are out of this world, but their selection is, is really nice. Yeah, it's just something I've always been curious about because it just, it seems like the two worlds would just kind of mesh well with each other. But it's you're not the first person that told me that that people who keep houseplants have had issues getting them to really pro, uh, to really like do well, and then they see the same plant in a dart frog tank or a tree frog tank or whatever, and it's just it looks incredible, and they're like, "What am I doing wrong?" It's like nothing. It's just I don't know. I, 
like I don't know, did my Walmart light and my distilled water? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that? It's funny you mentioned the the, the lighting. Like, what, what, do you have any lighting choices? Um, not in particular. I thought it was cool. What is that? Um, well, I have one LED light that um, does the lightning effect and makes it seem like it's raining. It's like 48 inches long. That's probably like the, the fanciest light I have. All the other ones are just like 6,500K, uh, four feet LED lights. And that's all I use. And like for the 1824s, I use the, uh, I think it's 6,500K. It might even be 5,500K, 24-inch uh, Walmart shop light for those. And that's it. And it seems like it's doing a trick. I asked um, a couple of people on Instagram, you know, what lights they use. And hopefully in the future, I can get some of those uh, skylights. Um, but even the night crews that are on Amazon, they're like 20 bucks. I might even give a try just like to try something different, maybe get some different bromeliad coloration. I have a few of those lights that... Amazon specials, I call them. The the ones that I bought maybe two years ago were not that great. The one that I bought recently, I bought, I think it was like a 30-inch one. I have kind of like, I, I still have a couple of, ta- they're not really racks per se, but I have a lot of smaller uh, aquariums that I keep my frogs in that are just sort of oriented, like um, not side to side, but front to back. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you took like a 20 long and you put it, you know, so that the shorter yeah. end was facing, all right, kind of like that. And I run one light over the top of the, you know, over the top of that, um, that run of tanks. And the one that I got, the night crew was, it was actually pretty good. I mean, it was, it wasn't like one of the cheap, like little, like 12 inch ones, but, um, I was actually pretty happy with that. My favorite light is it's an expensive light was the, was the, uh, the Fluval fresh implant. Those oh, lights were, okay. yeah, I had, I, <laughs> I had one, I've had them for about since 2016. I've had them so it was about about eight years or so, and one of them on my Azurius tank, I was doing some maintenance and I accidentally touched the light and it got wet and then it just went dim and I was like, oh, that's it, it's over. Ooh, ouch! Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't really want to spend another two hundred dollars on a new one, so I, I went <laughs> I went with one of the Amazon specials. <laughs> And that one, that one arrived and I wasn't happy with it. So I returned it and cause I was like, oh, let me try like the $20 light. I wasn't happy with it. I returned it. And uh, I ordered <laughs> one of the, the, I ordered the same night crew that I ordered a couple of months ago and hopefully that'll look good. But you're right. Anything in that like 6,500 K just seems mm. to just, it, it's everything colors up and does pretty well. I mean, I, I know some people like to use inexpensive lights. I, I have, I've just, I've, Maybe just because my basement's dark, I don't get a lot of natural light or whatever, but I've been most happy with the Fluvals, but you know, it's, I'm not made of money, so I can't, I can't, I can't replace them all as they go. (laughs) My point exactly. Like I would, I think it's like a, a more of a efficiency type of person, you know, like if it gets the same job done as that $200 light, then why not use that? $15, $20 $15, $20 light. Yeah, you know, like in the future, upgrade as you go and stuff. But if I can do more builds over time, especially put my, especially keep more money in my pocket with having kids, you know, that's kind of the route I'm going to go. Now, let's, let's get into DIY a little bit because DIY is such a big part of this hobby. 
what kind of modifications are you doing to your tanks to get them the way you want them? Um, I was using that um, polycarbonate. I think that's the material. It's the same uh, material for like the greenhouses. Um, and I was using that for my top. So I was just cutting it um, about like two, three inches shorter or whatever the length of the top is and setting that in place and then using that uh, that screen frame stuff from the big box stores, from the hardware store, and just making a, a screen the width of the tank and setting that in place up there. And then that polycarbonate stuff, you can just, it's really easy to drill holes and cut through. And I've just um, drilled the holes for my, my misting system. And that's what I was using at the beginning, but I just recently started using the glass tops and I found one of my local stores that cuts it pretty cheap and they offer the glass as well, pretty cheap. And I was been kind of getting it cut down to size and using that in place of that other uh, greenhouse material and keeping with the, the screen ventilation in front. I'm a little been a little bit nervous with drilling more glass, but it looks a lot better. And I think, I mean, to me, it seems like it let it lets a little bit more light through. So that's what I've been using. I did some like my early builds. I used like the uh, acrylic plexiglass, and it warped like within a few weeks just from being under the lights. And I gotta say, like for me, like nothing beats just regular, regular plate glass. But um, yeah, it's it's scary. Like when you want to drill something and you haven't done it, and it's like uh, <laughs> this is gonna go horribly wrong. But I- <laughs> it's funny because I w- I had oh I had um used the at uh, what is it that very what's thinner than the eighth inch? I'm not sure what it is, but I used it and I managed to drill two holes in it without cracking the pane. I got it on top of the 36 by 18. Got got the misting system plumbed and installed and everything. I got to talking to my friend. He was like, dude, like, you don't think that's kind of thin? I was like, no, like, I'm thinking about drilling two more. He's like, please don't. Like, it's lucky that you didn't crack it from just drilling those two. I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? Like, I think I could drill two more. I get home, try to drill one. Oh, no, I didn't even get to try to drill one. I go to uninstall the misting nozzle and it, I crack it, immediately crack it. So I was like, I'll try this eighth inch <laughs> and hopefully that's a little bit thicker. And it I've managed to draw all four holes with no problem. So Yeah. Uh, you you use water, like you just like run it under the hose or something? Or mm-hmm. how do you like how do you lubricate the the bit? Oh, I I use a, a tape down some installation foam, um, just drill my little guide hole through the foam and just place that over my hole and fill that hole up with water and drill the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still always get nervous though. When you- <laughs> yes. Oh yes. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I collect like old picture frames and I save the glass because clumsy me, I'm moving a tank around or something like that. Cause a lot of the smaller tanks again are not that elaborate. And I'll need something to restrict the ventilation, so I'll save like picture frames and whatnot, and just take the glass out. And some it's it's hit or miss because you cut that glass, <laughs> and you give it that little that little tap, and it's just like 
plink, 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 plink. And then all of a sudden it just goes off in like a 45 degree angle on the whole, the whole, the whole piece of glass is destroyed. You're like, you're like bleeding, you're like bleeding everywhere. And it's, it's a nightmare. Well, I had, oh, yeah. I had a, I was always curious how like real professionals did it. And at my job, we had a, uh, a large mirrored wall in, in one of the rooms and uh, it, it was, it was broken. Someone had accidentally hit it and it, and the, the mirror had cracked. So I was like, I have to see what this guy does to cut this glass. So he, you know, he showed up, he laid it out and I swear, man, he just used a regular, just glass cutter. He just, he <laughs> put, he put a little bead of mineral oil down the end of this like eight foot long mirror, put a square on it and just guided it down. And it just, you know, he, he had these like rubber, um, like rubber covered, almost like these like really long pliers that were like, um. You know, like the, the jaws were covered in rubber, I guess. And he just kind of mm-hmm. popped it off in one shot. I said, how did you do that? And he goes, he goes, this is why I make the big bucks. I said, I guess it's why I make the big bucks. Yeah. Oh, man. I had broken like four panes the night before I got in that eighth inch glass cut from my top, trying to, you know, cut it to size using the same little glass cutter. I lubricated it and everything. I just, I couldn't get it. I could not, for whatever reason, like I'll get one side and I'll, I'll get it to cut straight and I'll be perfect, but I'll turn it to cut the, the width of it. Nope. Couldn't shatter it every single time. So maybe next time. Yeah. I found that once you cut it, like, let's just say, let's just say that you have a 12 inch by 36 inch piece of glass and you go to cut it, I guess, you know, like, like uh, horizontally or whatever. Once you do that, like when you cut, try to cut it again vertically, especially if it's like short, if it's like less than like an inch or like less than two inches, you're done for. It's just like not, it's not going to happen. That's <laughs> at least that's been my experience. I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are better at it than me. But yeah, it's it's over with. You try to cut it, you get it, you cut it once, and the glass is like, all right, I'll let you have this one as a pass. And as soon as you go to cut it again, the glass is like, no, it's not happening. I'm just going to crack. So. Oh, uh, it's, um, just to kind of continue on the whole DIY thing, um, there's a lot of, I guess it's like vivarium building has become more of a, more of a popular hobby, I guess you could say. People are given different options, like some people will kind of buy like an all-in-one kit to set up everything with their, their background or you know, they'll go to like the big box pet store and they'll buy like the, you know, the cork, cork round, the whole, you know, the, the quote unquote, like the bioactive kit or whatever it is. <laughs> but yeah, but a lot of people are sourcing, I mean, even like myself included, and this is like another reason I, I reached out to you was because you use a lot of stuff that you kind of think outside the box. Like you, you'll go to like, you know, a big box hardware store, walk through the aisles, look through these materials and think, well, what can I incorporate into my vivarium for my build? I mean, obviously not necessarily plants and whatnot, but like when you go into, I mean, I hate using names, but like here in the S we've got like, we've got like Lowe's, we've got uh, Walmart, which isn't so much of a hardware store. And we've got Home Depot and there's, there's probably a couple of others out there, but I mean, like when you walk into one of these places, like what are some of the things that catch your eye? that you might want to use in a build that might be a little bit unconventional, we'll say. Um, I try to find things that I see um, like aquascapers use or something like close to what they use or even like what other influential uh, 
forward to order per se online <laughs> as kind of like ignorant as that may sound. Um, it's just because <laughs> I'm in the National Guard and a lot of times we're activated and a lot of times I want to escape and a lot of times I don't have time to wait on materials just so I can essentially take a paintbrush out and start painting. You know, I kind of want to escape right then and there. So I've been to like some of these terrarium stores. I'm not going to say any names, but when I look around and I see the stuff they're selling, uh, it's kind it's literally the same thing that, you know, your hydroponic store is selling or your big box store is selling, you know, that bag of liquor that, you know, some of these bigger pet stores are advertising as drainage layered uh, hydro balls for $20. You know, you get the same the same LECA for $20 at your hydroponic store that'll build you like six or eight tanks. You know, you can you don't have to use hydro balls if you don't if that's not accessible to you. You know, you can use, you know, lava rocks that usually majority a lot of big box hardware stores you know carry um i know like pretty much i was thinking about it today you can get almost everything to make a terrarium or a vivarium from a big box store if you don't mind you know cheaper plants and that's a little bit you know subjective uh, outside of like hardscape pieces and even even then like a lot of these places they carry like bamboo sticks and stuff so like you could even use those and they, they even carry like the larger uh, lava rocks and cereal stones i i've been hearing and reading if you can find it in stock so really you can build get everything you wanted from a hardware store or one of these big box stores if if it's provided to you right then and there so I just try to cut the cost on the same things that I've been seeing advertised for pets that are just advertised for, you know, other uses. Because like I said, you know, I kind of want, I want to stretch my money. You know, I'm a father of two. So I kind of want to save money and build more builds where I can when I can. It's funny. People don't realize that a lot of this stuff is just repurposed to suit a particular niche. Like, I mean, if I go into, I mean, I, I want to kind of get into big, big chain pet stores, but I'll walk into one of them and I'll see a bag of gravel that's labeled for turtles for like, like you said, like 20 bucks. And I can go to the hardware <laughs> store and buy like a pallet of this stuff for like $25. And I don't, I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, what? I'll, I'll actually, I do have an idea where that came from and I'll, I'll just go back down memory lane when I first started getting into keeping reptiles and exotics and whatnot, it was uh, when you went to the pet store, you were, I mean, even from working at one, you were coached to sell the products. You were basically coached to say that if you're not, you know, if you can't use found items from outside, you can't use leaf litter from outside, you can't use wood from outside because it would void the health guarantee on the animal, which at the time, you know, the early 90s wasn't really that long anyway, but it was kind of put into your head that you have to buy this stuff at the pet store because it's safe and it's special. And, and then you realize it really, it's, it's, it's not, it's no different. You know what I mean? Like a river stone is river stone. Whether you buy a little bag of it at, you know, at the art, the arts and crafts store for like, well, however many dollars, like $20, or you go buy a big, you know, like, you know, five gallon pail of it for like five fifty. It's all the same stuff. People don't realize that. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on 
sheet foam. And by that, I mean, you know, you go into like, you know, the big hardware store and they've got like foam insulation. It comes in like really long sheets. It's usually either like maybe like four foot by eight foot, four foot by six foot. And usually like two inch thick. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's like Pink Panther. Mm-hmm. Pink Panther is the brand here in the U.S. Yes. Have you ever used it? Yeah, I've used it before. I've actually, I actually like it. I'm actually working on, um, what are those, uh, those tall, um, they come from like, uh, Ikea cabinets. Um, they're really popular now for like the house plants and stuff, or they were popular, but that's what I'm using for that build just because, you know, it's already long and tall, just as long, just as that, uh, cabinet is. And, um, you can cut it, you can manipulate it, you can heat it up, you can paint it with dry lock, you can do, you can foam on top of it. I love it. It's another kind of a cheat cheating method that I like. Um, I almost like it better than just like a, a regular inherent canned polyurethane thing because I actually like anything better than that canned polyurethane thing of anything that it actually saves you more time because you don't have to wait for something to dry or or another thing to dry. You know, you kind of just put it in place and go ahead and get it to look how you want it to want it to look. I've had a lot, a lot of luck making uh, like things like buttress roots, which you really can't do. I mean, I guess you could do it with the, with the foam in the can if you maybe built some sort of a skeleton for it. But that was like my big draw to it i was like i can make three-dimensional objects that aren't just gonna mm-hmm. fall apart or, or whatnot and that for me was a big plus i have i have one paladarium that's got nothing in it it's actually a i think it's like a 33 gallon tall hexagon aquarium from like 1975 i've had all sorts of different things in it but <laughs> i did uh i did it's got six panels obviously two of the panels i i did those two sheets of insulation i just i carved it I shouldn't say this, but I ended up using a heat gun on it, which you really shouldn't do because it, re- it you know, releases all sorts of chemicals. I really shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. And I just dry locked and I, I put some buttresses in there and um, it, it came, I was very happy with it. And to me, it was much easier than use a polyurethane foam. But to be honest, so many people were using the foam. I just hopped on the, that bandwagon and stopped using the sheet foam anyway. But I mean, just I mean, for anybody out there listening who's not quite sure what we're talking about, when you buy a, a um, an, an, a, like a vivarium, like a, I mean, I hate using brand names, but like, for, for example, like Exoterra, Exoterra comes with that foam background. It's basically that. That's basically what you're doing is you're just getting a, a, a plain, it's usually purple. You have to paint it but like a plain sheet of that and you can cut it and carve it however you want. And you basically get the same effect. I've actually used it to um, make rocks in one build because for the, for the life of me, I cannot find pumice rocks like locally for whatever reason um and so i kind of wanted the same effect and i just did the same thing cut it to what i thought looked like rocks to me and (laughs) took the heat gun to it and kind of got it to texture up and um, get all hard and coated it with dry lock and look like rocks yeah Yeah, it's pretty versatile and i don't know i haven't i've i know pumice is great because it's kind of inert you don't get the um the mineral content that you would with other things. Like I, I had a lot of really bad blooms of uh, like cyanobacteria, which is like, if you've ever had an aquarium Oof. and you get that, it's, it's yes. horrible. And I realized the reason I was getting it was because of the, 
pebbles that I was using. And in this case, I made a mistake by not buying the, <laughs> not buying the aquarium <laughs> quality gravel because it's, it's obviously different gravel rocks, whatever. And they have different mineral content and some of them are, have a lot of minerals. And apparently all that is new is, is nutrition for cyanobacteria. So all my, you know, aquariums that I had these or vivariums or whatever that I had any kind of water feature or powder or whatever, I got that cyanobacteria like crazy. And it took honestly years for that, those nutrients to kind of like just finally be dissipated and used up. So in that case, I guess you might want to source your gravel more appropriately. But yeah, I could see, I could see making that stuff out of rocks, excuse me, um, making rocks out of that foam being a lot lighter and a lot more practical than, uh, than doing it the old fashioned way. It's interesting that you say that because I've been testing well, I've been dealing with the same cyanic, cyan, cyanic, cyanic bacteria. Oh my gosh, I can't see, speak. Um, in one of my builds, and I was trying to figure out like whether it was coming from the um, substrate that I was using for the water feature, or whether or not it was the flow for my um, for flow for the uh, the pump. I was trying to figure out whether like the pump was actually carrying the water or cycling the water enough to get rid of that or keep it at bay. I know, you know, it's kind of inevitable keeping terrariums with that light being so close to these water features and humidity. It's like, you know, the ideal place for it to grow. But I was wondering if there was a way to like mitigate it all together with like, you know, a stronger pump or a sump, you know, rate it for, you know, twice the amount of water that's in there, you know, similar to what aquariums do, you know, with maybe like something to aerate it, would that keep it, keep it away altogether, despite the gravel or aquarium soil that you do use? Yeah, it's, it's outside of the realm of what I would even have any like you know any understanding of i really i I wish i knew i mean look if you're an aquarium person out there and you know you know kind of how to mitigate this i'd be happy to hear what you have to say and i do i have a couple of salamander people coming up in the near future in the next couple episodes who work with paludariums i mean generally like paludariums and dog frog for in the dog frog world we generally don't do them because it's not particularly practical but i mean i've seen some people out there with with aquatic salamanders and they don't have a speck of cyanobacteria or anything like that. And they're using a natural substrate. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely food for thought. It's something that I'd like to know. I mean, the only thing that, that seemed to help me was just time. And from what I understand, I mean, really any living thing can exist as long as it has the nutrition, something to feed it. And I guess once that's gone, it can't exist anymore. So a good example is my, my Thelioderma corticale, my mossy frog uh, paludarium, which I was just talking about a little while ago, that water quality went through all sorts of different colors and qualities and whatnot. And now it's crystal clear, which I know that they don't really like per se. So I try to let it get really messy, but everything in there eventually just stopped. You know, I, I got rid of all the bad stuff and I don't know really what, what it was, but the same thing with my, with my Oscar tank. I set my Oscar tank up in 2016, and again, I used gravel that was just probably not appropriate for it. I had live, <laughs> I had live plants, and I uh, had some some Mopani driftwood, 
and the water turned brown from the, the tannins in the wood. I, I even boiled the wood before, and the water turned brown. Then that cleared up. Then I got this army of snails that just went crazy on everything. <laughs> got the cyanobacteria, everything. And then after like two years, it just all went away. And now the water's clear. The, the, I haven't done any maintenance on it whatsoever. I haven't changed the filter media. I haven't nothing. And the, the tank is crystal clear. The plants do really well. I don't overfeed the Oscar, and the snails just disappeared. And the same thing with the snails in my um, one of my vivariums. I know people often ask about snails being a pest, and I'm not really too familiar with them, but mine went away. And I asked someone about it, and he said, well, whatever mineral that they're using to make their shells, obviously they exhaust it. So again, if they don't have the nutrition, then they can't survive. So, I mean, that was, to me, it, it, to me, that's the only thing I could think of. You know, once you cut off the food supply, whatever it is can't exist anymore. That's interesting. Never thought about that. It just, it takes a really, really long time though, you know? It's like the... the well, uh it's like the guy at the beginning of the buffet line, you know what I mean? He's he's got to wait to go before he gets to the Jello at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've read that um, people are. Someone was saying that they were against water features, or one of the reasons why they're against water features was because that you had to keep oh, water features inside of dart frog vivariums is because you had to keep the water water feature water separated from the drainage layer water that would be collected at the bottom of the tank which really didn't make any sense to me because i didn't i didn't realize like the water at the in the drainage layer would be like so toxic to the dart frogs but i guess that in a sense would make sense if you weren't cycling or moving that water in any way on top of like you know like, you know, the excess nutri nutrients being built up and the bacteria probably being harbored down there. But I just thought that that would be all fixed if you could kind of move it, move that water and do regular water changes. But maybe that's a little bit more work that than it's worth. My issue with water features, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I fell into the trap. I built a 40-gallon breeder with a water feature, and I had the little... A little pump in the back, you know, that little like $10 pump that you get on Amazon with the tubing. And I, I painted myself into a corner with it. And I ended up just unplugging the pump, filling it, filling the water feature in and just abandoning it. And you know what? The tank <laughs> looks fine now after like years and years, all that stuff. I've got like ficus hey. growing over. You, you, you'd never even know that it was there. But <laughs> that's exactly what happened was it was very, very difficult to keep the water from the water feature separate from whatever was circling around in the, in the drainage layer. So I think that that's where a lot of people do make mistakes because that water gets anaerobic really fast. And even if you're over misting, like I had, I, I, I was excited. I set up my mist king on, a, on four tanks on the timer. Everything I was like, this is great. And I was overdoing it. And what was happening was the substrate was getting so saturated because the drainage layer was filling up. And I went in there and I'm like, all my, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, all my frogs are not on the, the substrate. They're all up on the driftwood. They're all up. Like they're not on, something's wrong. And then I looked and I was like, wow, I was like, there's a lot of water in here. And I stuck a turkey baster down there and I kind of sucked up some of the water and I squirted it into a cup and, and it stunk because it was all anaerobic. So it, it's like, like, you're right. Like that bacteria that just grows in there and takes off just from all that nutrition from 
I guess, you know, if, if I know Leek is kind of inert, but, you know, decaying plant matter and mm-hmm. frog waste or whatever, I mean, technically a leaf litter is going to rot, and I guess that's exactly what it did. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of water features. Just for me, I have paludariums, but I don't have them for dog frogs just because for me it's not really a practical thing. And I've always told people who want to build a dog frog vivarium, I always say, like, look, you know what? Paladariums are great. Just pick a different species, you know, like Thelioderma. <laughs> like Thelioderma. It, it's it's nice. I mean, it's not it don't it's not like a, a huge like showcase paladarium, but but that's mm-hmm. nice because they're semi aquatic. They love it. The dart frogs, eh, I don't know. I just feel like too too much could go wrong. In fact, even my Thelioderma, I don't even have a land feature in it. I just have the background, and I have some river stone on the bottom, and then just plants, and that's it. So there's that water circulates a little bit too. But I don't have anything in there that can trap the water. It seems like if the water gets trapped in this substrate, that seems to be when things sure. go wrong. Okay, I guess that's, I guess that's why I kind of, and I feel like I kind of opened up like a can of worms on this controversial state uh, topic because I do keep some of my builds with water features. Now they're not like all crazy, got like three, four, six inches of water, like some builds I've seen. But like you know, they're like really simple water features where like usually um, the frogs, if I'm keeping frogs in there, can walk across that water and that water is moved and it's a way to move, get that way to siphon out that water like completely from the bottom. But like, I, that's, that's just kind of just something that I find found interesting about keeping vivariums and terrariums that you know like the possibilities for you to keep them but like you are right i don't think that it is something that people should be doing for dart frogs especially you know like someone just coming into the hobby because so much can go wrong because i do see like a bunch of different water feature builds and it's kind of asking for trouble unfortunately it takes a lot to execute it properly mm-hmm. and i mean like you said earlier i know that you prefer to have a very large tank and i know some people who've pulled it off they pulled it off because it took a lot of planning and i find that there's a difference between going in as a beginner and saying oh, i'm going to prove it very wrong i'm going to do this water feature and it's going to look great yeah right well, you're, you're you might be <laughs> yeah you might be basing it on an idea that someone who just spent a long long time planning it like like Troy's build, Troy's Paladarium, he spent months planning that. Months. You know what I mean? And it executed well just because he was, you know, he was able to pull it off. I mean, your water features that I've seen on, you know, on your social media, I mean, to me it looks like it's a success. That's what it looks like to me. But again, not everybody <laughs> not everybody can pull it off. You know what I mean? I'm serious. Not everybody right. can pull it off. I couldn't pull it off, but then I also realized that, you know what, I probably shouldn't be pulling it off because, I mean, with the exception of like my Pepita babies, and uh, I know, I think, what is it? Like, I think like Amarega and Adelopus, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're more like riparian species where they'll hang around by, you know, by river's edges and things like that. But like Dendrobates tinctoris, they're, they're leaf litter, you know. Well, what's interesting is there was a, at, at Frog Day, one of the, in, um, 2021 one of the speakers i can't remember the guy's name he's from germany he was talking about where dart frogs were found in relation to water and 
they were found with reasonably close to the water's edge, obviously not in the water, but uh, interestingly enough, where he found Adelopus, he didn't find any Dendrobates tinctoris, and where he found tinctoris, he didn't find any Adelopus. So it was weird because they they hung around the same river, but they wouldn't be in the same place at the same time. So, I mean, they do go near water. It's just that I feel like a lot of beginners get the idea that they're semi-aquatic and they live in these swampy situations because what happens is like they go on YouTube and someone says, oh, you know, they need 100% humidity. It's like, no, that's <laughs> that's a, that's like an aquatic thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I guess you are right on on that on that point. Because when I'm thinking about all of my tanks that do have water features, a lot does go into it. And you kind of do want your vivariums and terriums to be kind of hands off as much as possible. You know, you're going in there having to drill, uh, drain more water, almost like, you know, on that. I guess you can do it on one cycle, but, you know, almost on double the, double the rate that you have to drain the water, you know, change out a sump or pump it. It's it's it is a lot of work. It is. But, you know, it's like a love of labor, you know, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not critical. If people can pull it off, they can pull it <laughs> off. I don't I mean, again, but I think there's a, you have to make a distinction in terms of what it is, what it means to pull it off successfully. I think that to pull yeah. it off successfully, number one, it has to be functional and practical. It has to, mm-hmm. you know, work after a, a couple of months. And number two, it has to obviously be consistent with what the animal's husbandry needs are. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to put. Um, you know, my phyllobates in a big swampy water feature because they'll end up getting foot rot and whatever else. But, you know, for like, for example, like Adelopus, like Adelopus live near really fast moving streams. And like, that's a perfect species for them. And given Adelopus is like really, like really <laughs> expensive. But I mean, in a situation like that, that I could see that being appropriate. But again, it's everybody's different. You know, everyone has different ideas and different skill levels and whatnot. But I mean, I don't think that it's a total lost cause. I just think that it's kind of reserved for situations where people can just really, really pull it off properly. I don't know. I just, I, I hate to, you know, be, I hate to see beginners get really enamored with the, especially like the setup that they'll see at like a pet shop where the dar frog is oh, in. Man. Like it, it looks like what was that where Yoda from Star Wars lived? Um, Oh, the Dagobah oh, system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like that, and, and or even like with like Pamilio, like like they have Pamilio, and it's like you know they don't Pamilio doesn't hang out in this little swamp. I mean, they'll actually bask on the side of a on the side of a tree branch in like 110 degrees. They, they don't they don't do that. But I don't know. It's just one of those things I hate to see beginners uh, kind of get caught up in. But I guess I guess we all go. I mean, look, I went through it. You know, not that I'm, got, not that uh, I'm anybody special, but. I what, understand. What do you think some what do you think some beginner mistakes are for someone getting into the hobby? Doing water features. Um I think that, you know, as hypocritical as I'm saying this as we've got talking about water features and me doing it and me doing them, I don't think that it's something that beginners should be doing for poison dart frogs or anything that doesn't necessarily need because i've seen even people like on the bearded dragon forms have water features inside of some of their enclosures and i was like what are, what is going on here um uh i just kind of think like getting like the basics down and understanding like there's so much more that goes into the tank for you to kind of be 
consumed with that you don't really need to add on anymore to your plate when first starting out out at uh anymore you don't need to add any more to your plate as it is you know if you're starting out you know it's your first time keeping dart frogs you know their health you monitoring them you getting fruit fly cultures down you understanding humidity you getting a hygrometer you know you understanding that you know that water that if there's too much water in the tank you know like those like little basic things need to be understood and got down first before you're kind of consumed with the thought of something elaborate like a water feature because you know I, I do think that the more elaborate builds you know that you see in zoos and like on youtube and stuff it gets people into the hobby and that that there is a place for that and for those people and for that skill level like you were saying but you know it is at the end of the day the overall about the overall health of the poison dart frog or the animal it's interesting that you mentioned zoos because i feel like and this is not to be critical of zoos or anything like that but i feel like I've gone into I've I've gone and seen some some frog exhibits and whatnot, which some of them are really really good. I will say some of them are, are definitely, you know, appropriate and look good. And I've seen some that are just flat out awful. Like I I know that <laughs> I I don't I, and I think another beginner mistake is that the whole the whole cohabbing thing. And look, people can disagree, uh. people can disagree with me, and that's that's fine. I I personally don't see a need to cohabitate different species, especially different locales. Um, I mean, we've all seen that picture of a Phyllobates terribilis with a morning gecko <laughs> hanging out of its mouth. So, it, you know, it, but you're right. People go into a, a zoo or whatever, and, you know, they see this big, beautiful tank that's got this huge, elaborate water feature, and there's like five different species of dart frog in there, and then you have to ask yourself, where in the world would I actually see this? Particularly considering that a lot of people don't realize that, like, you know, Phyllobates is like you're going to see Phyllobates in Colombia, you're going to see Epipedobates in it was like Peru and Ecuador, you're going to see Dendrobates throughout like Suriname and Brazil and whatnot. They don't all like meet up together in the Amazon rainforest somewhere and have this huge like get together like they do in some of these tanks. So, I mean, t- t- to me, it would be like putting. I guess um, I'm trying to think like, but like something from, I mean, North America is pretty big too. And I mean, uh, I guess it'd be like putting like an alligator in the same, uh, in the same enclosure as say, like, um, I don't know, something from the Pacific Northwest. Let's just say a grizzly bear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they live on the same continent, but they don't actually ever interact with each other in the wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So now I've lost my credibility with any zoo people now, but. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I did, it's no, funny I though because I, I did I went to I, I kept an open mind my, my family and I we went on vacation last year and we found a place I, I don't want to name the place because it really wasn't anyone's fault or anything like that but their big angle was that they were a butterfly and dart frog exhibit so I'm thinking alright cool you know what I mean this is going to be great and I went <laughs> in and I was like I was like wait a minute like <laughs> my, my basement's way better than this <laughs> and the same thing they just they didn't have they didn't necessarily have the husbandry down like you know they had like six inches of like wet moss with azurius like running around with you know like azurius like running holding hands with the naratus and it was just it was 
I, 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 you know, I was, I didn't say anything. I was like, all right, you know, this is not quite what I expected, but I don't know. Well, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end, but I did, I did, I did want to just kind of pick your brain and see what some of your opinions are about some of the Vivarium products that are offered in the, the big chain pet stores. I mean, we kind of touched on it before. And I think that, like, look, there's, I mean, me, I'm not critical. I don't think there's anything wrong if people go choose that route. And I don't want to sound like condescending or anything like that. I just personally don't care for that stuff. And I also kind of, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't like big box pet stores stepping on our toes in this hobby. I mean, maybe it sounds snobbish, (laughs) but I don't want them in it. I don't want them around it. I just don't like what goes along with it. But I'm just curious, like, what are your opinion? Uh, like, what, what's your opinions of some of the Vivarium products that you typically see at like the the big chain stores? Um, I I'm have to agree with you on that. I I don't really like it, nor do I really um buy them. Um, I, I check them out from time to time, uh, especially like the moss. If anything with the word moss on it, I'm always, you know, trying to see what's up with it, you know, just like everybody else. And um, I don't like how overpriced, you know, their prices are for things that are lacking in quality, um, really aren't really used for whatever purpose that they're advertising that that purpose is for. Like, um, like what is it? The uh, calcium sand? inside of uh um, bearded dragon enclosures they like, still sell that yes oh really? yes at least at least in my area they do um like you know just a bunch of things that you can tell like they're either behind on information or they really didn't fine-tune the product for for us in the hobby like if you're going to you know offer you know, things to better our hobby or, you know, to h- highlight, you know, the dart frog hobby or whatever. Um, I think it should be progressing or better than what we have, not something kind of subpar and overpriced. I was listening to someone else's podcast. I can't remember. Might have might have been animals at home. I think Dylan might have had somebody on, or might, maybe it was reptile entrepreneur. I don't know. I mean, in any event, they're we're all they're all great podcasts, and we're all like you know we all talk to each other and whatnot. But I can't remember who it was. And um, he had someone on who was um, had worked for like one of the big pet companies, and he basically said that the reason that these things are still in stores is because they sell, and that seems to be the reason. I mean, obviously not to like we're not going in there and buying this stuff but they're going to sell the products that sell and if they if they don't sell they're not necessarily going to put more money into developing the product further you know, you know what i mean like if no one's mm-hmm. buying if people are buying calcium sand then they're going to sell calcium sand but they're not going to you know if that's working then they're not going to invest in trying to figure out a better more appropriate product because like why should they invest money in it that was a, that was the what what i took away from that god i wish i could remember because it was a really good episode. Like I, I'm, I totally apologize to everyone. I, I it just kind of came to my, came into my head right now. But, um, yeah, I guess that's the way it works. So from, I mean, again, it is a business. They have to make a living. But yeah, I just wish the products were better. I'm not, you know, there's nothing wrong with you know making a buck, but just kind of offer something better. That's it. I like when I go into 
one of those stores and I, I don't, I don't like to buy, I don't like, I mean, honestly, I don't like to give them any of my business, but that's my problem. That's, that's, you know, not for the show, but I mean, I feel dirty just going in there and buying dog food. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I, in desperation, I have to go in and get crickets. And, um, mm-hmm. one time I went in there and the, the employee who was working there, um, she was, she was new and she wasn't comfortable handling crickets. So I had to bag them myself, <laughs> which is, which is cool. I mean, you know, and then she's like, what are you feeding? And like, I rattled off the names of all these different species and whatnot. And she's like, oh, she goes, that's, that's cool. That's cool. She's like, I was like, hey, I was like, no, I understand. I was like, it's, it's your, fr- it's your first day. It's cool. You're not into crickets, but, um, you know, and then I don't know. It's just, it was just, it was just an interesting experience that I had. Um, then you go, you, know, you go in there, you get like the, um, the domestic crickets that they sell there. And, um, they die in like a week. Whereas like the bandits, the bandits that you order online will like, they could live with like no food, no water for like six years. But I don't know. Uh, These are our um, subject matter experts. Yeah. Yeah. This is all just, this is all just opinion and and conjecture, by the way. I I try to stay objective, but I think, I think that most of you agree with me that the, the big box pet stores are not necessarily in line with what amphibian hobbyists uh, need and expect, but I don't know. I just, yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I go in and I buy, and you, you can't buy live uh, feeders anymore that are non in. Oh, well, the other thing is even, not even that, like you can go in there, like they're dubia roaches and they have, I don't know if they have them by you, but they have fruit fly cultures that they sell there. That's actually in this tiny little dram vial. And you mm-hmm. get like 15 flies, which is like nothing. And they're little tiny, like wingless melanogaster. And I bought a vial just as a joke. And the the guy who was working, he's like, he's like, what are you going to feed that to? I said, honestly, nothing. I said, I just bought it because I thought it was funny looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah so they, they have, have those vials too. <laughs> yeah. And you can't, I mean, you can't get, um, you can't get live feeders, but that's, you know, that's, that's a whole other issue. I don't. I don't feed live, but I have one. I have one snake. Unfortunately, that he'll he'll only take um, pre-killed. But that's just you know the one, the one eyeball. But well, in any event, we're like I said, we're kind of at the end. But um, if anyone wants to check out some of your content and just view like social media, if they want to see what you're up to in terms of like what like where you are in terms of your builds and photos and stuff like that, where could people check it out? Um, on Instagram at uh, Lost Vivariums. Cool, awesome. Well, listen, Brandon. Anything else that you want to add before we uh, before we split? I mean, I mean, but I know. Uh, I mean, you're in the National Guard, so I know. I want to, you know, thank you for that. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure you hear people say thank you for your service, but thank you for your service. And um, it's you know, it's it's I I support you know I support our veterans and everything that you guys do and, and our active service men and women. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate your support. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, um, I I got family that were veterans myself. So, but well, in any event, uh, I want to thank you guys. It's been a fun episode. Uh, you know, check out Brandon's stuff. His Vivarian builds are, they're really, really impressive. And if you guys have some input for me or anything like that, you know, any methods or builds or stuff like that, that you're using different materials that you might want to try, you might want to recommend, reach out, you know, you can email me amphibicast at gmail.com. 
And that's just a great way to get in touch because I'm always curious in terms of what other people are building. I know that a lot of times we focus on kind of the science and the, um, uh, you know, I don't know about the science and the mechanics of things, but I, I like to touch on the art of things because a lot of this is very artistic. And um, I don't know, I like to I like to look at other people's vivariums and see what they're doing. And I'm sure all you guys do too because we're all kind of in it for the same game. And uh, yeah, so like I said, if you guys have anything you want to share with me, always reach out. And other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Catch up with you again soon.